Hey guys, welcome to Real Talk with Nina. I'm Nina and shit is about to get real. There's so much going on in my coaching practice as far as topics and struggles and porn is one of them. Couples struggling with negative views of porn, how it's affecting their relationship. So I knew that if this is a common issue, I need to go to the best of the best, in my opinion, in the porn industry. So I did. So I am bringing to you Jackie St. James. Jackie is an award-winning writer, director, and producer of ethical porn. I'm going to have her explain what ethical porn means because I know that a lot of people are like, what the hell is ethical porn? But she is a fellow Gen Xer, and we've had such great conversations about so many different topics on porn. I love her. I love the work she does. I am so fucking excited to bring Jackie to the podcast tonight. So I'm going to bring her in right now, and we are going to get this started. Hi. I was, I just I just totally had the, this big intro about you, just like, you know, how in my coaching practice, porn comes up a lot. And usually it's negative. It's usually something that only the husband watches and the wife feels insecure. And as someone who loves porn, I talk about it a lot. I literally assign it sometimes to my clients because I think it's amazing. If if you understand a few things, I was like, okay, this has to change. We have to change the script on porn. And clearly... If I'm going to do that, I'm going to go to the best of the best. And so I reached out to Michelle, who is the CEO of Balesa, and I said, I I need to, to dispel the shitty myths about porn. And I, I need it on my podcast. And she said, say no more. I'm connecting you with Jackie. And I was like, Jackie St. James, Jackie? Or <laughs> what? So I am super, super grateful, Jackie, to have you on. You've been amazing. Our conversations have been so organic and awesome. And I'm just super stoked to have you on. Thank you so much. I am so excited to be here and talk to you. You're amazing. So (laughs) (laughs) thank you. And right before we started recording, I was telling Jackie that if there's ever a need for MILF porn that really focuses on, you know, cellulite on the thighs, C-section scars, like I really feel like I should should be in the lineup. I think that's a thing. I I do. My husband would be totally okay. I guarantee it. As long as as long as he can, you know, be on set, I think he'd be I think he'd be totally okay. Let's do it. Right? right? So, Jackie, that I'm assuming that what everyone probably wants to know, or one of the million things everybody wants to know, is how like no one's born going, you know what? When I get older, I'm gonna be a, a porn director. Like that, I mean. It's to me, it sounds like a dream job, but I'm assuming that that has not been what you've wanted to do since you were little, or was it? No, <laughs> no, thankfully, I didn't learn what porn was until I was old enough to appreciate it. Okay. So. <laughs> so, how did you get into it? How did this all happen? Um, so like you, I mean, I've watched porn uh, since I was 18, and, and I'm 44, if that gives people any idea that. You know, I grew up in the age where you had to go into the video store behind the curtain and it was very humiliating. You know, we're from a generation of people that are very shy about our sexuality. So um, 
when the internet took off, I was able to watch a lot more easily. Um, and a lot of my guy friends would send me links to clips of pornography. And uh, one of my friends, who is a director of photography in Hollywood, sent me a clip and he's like, you are not going to believe that this is porn. And it was a clip to a movie from New Sensations. It's a movie called The Wedding Day. I watched it and it was shot very well. It was lit well. The girls were very girl next door, natural. Didn't seem like a, air quotes, typical porn star. Right. The guys were very boy next door and very attractive, not the typical porn stars I was used to seeing. And there was a plot and the sex was not acrobatic. It was connected and just it felt like everyday sex. Mm. And so I couldn't believe that they were making porn like this because I had seen everything but nothing like this. Right. So when I read about it, it was a company called uh, New Sensations and it was the romance series. And then when I found out they were looking for female writers, so I told my guy friend that had sent me the clip and he's like, dude, you know, it was a contest. And my friend was like, dude, enter the contest. It would be fucking hilarious to enter like a porn contest. So I reached out to one of the directors at that company, Eddie Powell. And I was like, I don't know how to write a porn. Can you give me advice? And so he and I connected on the phone and he said, look, just write a script um, that has sex. Don't write sex around the script. Like write a story that just has sex. So I did. I submitted the script. It ended up winning the contest. Uh, not to say that there's probably a lot of competition. I've seen people's porn writing. And so I'm sure that there was no competition here. But I won. And then I ended up uh, quitting my corporate job and, and going into porn eventually. Writing and then directing and then now producing and directing and writing. Wow. So this, I mean, did you go to school for like writing or journalism or this is just you happen to be a good writer and oh, look, there was a porn contest. Like, is that? Um, I've written, writing is my greatest passion. I did not go to school for it, but I've been writing since I was like in third grade. I always kept journals and I always, I mean, I have so many, you know, plays and book ideas and scripts and just so much. So it was a passion of mine, but I never really thought, oh, you can't really make money as a writer. I mean, even today you really can't, unless you work in porn, strangely right. enough. Right, I was going to say, it's hard. <laughs> sure. It's very hard. So no, I mean, I went to school, I wanted to be an actress, like every moron that moves to LA, that was my goal. <laughs> and quickly realized that was not going to happen because, you know, too old, not pretty enough and not talented enough. So it was like, you know, the, the realization of like, this isn't going to happen for me. So I just was staying in corporate America. And I had been in corporate America since graduating from college. So that was my, I did online advertising. That was, okay. what I, so I did that for about over a decade before I moved into porn. Wow. And then how, how did your, how did your friends, family take the, oh, I'm leaving corporate to write porn? I mean, how did that, how did that go over? Well, my friends have always just known I was kind of different um, in that, like, I never really followed the predictable path. Even when I was in corporate America, I was doing a lot of, I had a lot of weird side jobs and things like that. So like my friends were supportive and most of them thought it was cool. My family, um, did not think it was cool. It's not something we even talk about, you know, now, 11 years later, it's, it's not discussed. They're not happy about it. And, um, really? there's a lot of shame and embarrassment. Yeah. Do you come from a religious uh, background or? I mean, my family's Catholic, but I wouldn't say that they're over the top religious, 
but they're very about appearances and they're very educated. My dad's a lawyer. My mom has her master's. My sister has her PhD and I'm the pornographer. So it's, it's, there's a lot of shame. Yeah. Well, um, you're probably making more than all of them. So <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I mean, let's call a spade a spade here. Um, Correct. My father is an attorney as well. And he went to Harvard. And I remember him telling me, like, you need, you know, you should really, I have legacy at Harvard, my uncle, my my grandfather, my dad. So he was like, you know, it's kind of a shoe-in, you know, you're well, I ended up, you know, at University of Delaware with a concentration in human sexuality, smoking weed. <laughs> so I mean, if you're gonna make your parents proud, make them proud, you know. <laughs> They should be proud. You turned out good. <laughs> Thank you. They, you know, I will say I was lucky. They are super supportive of of what I'm doing, and and very much like you, Jackie. I have never been someone who was comfortable inside the box. You know, I, I think I think a lot of time people tend to be more comfortable you know, with the structure that is acceptable and living a narrative that is palatable for other people. And I think I did really try hard to live like that my whole life. I, I went to college to become a teacher because at that time, if you were a female, you should be like an elementary school teacher. That's what most of my friends went to school for. And within the first year of taking classes in undergrad, I was like, this sucks. I don't like this. And I had one human sexuality professor that knocked my socks off. And I said, this is where I belong. And so I completely changed my major to mental health counseling with a concentration in sexuality, went right to get my master's in health education. I was a health teacher with the goal of getting my PhD to be a professor of human sexuality. And what I learned really quickly was that once I was done with my master's, I wasn't the best student anymore. I really, <laughs> I didn't want to do that anymore. So, you know, after trying all of the quote unquote, you know, normal nine to five jobs, I just, in 2016, I, it was the last straw for me. I said, I was the director of a, a nonprofit in the field of psychiatry. I always have my thumb in mental health always. And, uh, I still do. And, uh, I just said, look, I'm going to leave this job, but not for another one. Because clearly it's not the jobs that are the issue, right? It's me. Sure. sure. I, I don't, I don't do that. Well, it becomes my life. Everything becomes, every job always becomes my life. And I was like, well, if I'm going to do something that becomes my life, because clearly that's my MO when it comes to work, then I'd like to choose something that I actually want Yes, to become something that I am passionate about from the moment I wake up in the morning it feels just like an extension of who I am. I don't feel, I don't have work hours. I don't, I, I just don't, it's just a part of my life. I just happened to earn a living doing it. That's how I see it. I don't, I always, I told my kids, look, find something you love to do and find a way to get paid for it. That's yeah. the best advice, you know, for us growing up, Jackie, it was what college are you going to? Yes, what well, college? Right. It was like, which of the, you know, five careers are you going to choose from? A teacher, lawyer, doctor, accountant, you know, police officer. And and that was it. And I know better now. I tell my kids, look, find something you love because I was making decent money 
and I have never been so miserable in my life. I had, I had the most, you know, secure career as a teacher, great benefits, great hours. And I was dying inside. So, you know, um, so, so you still don't, your family still doesn't talk about it now. No. And I mean, it's, it's again, like my family is, is conservative and very, um, you know, not religious, but again, it's very image based. Mm -hmm. So it's very, you know, they want the prestige and there's no prestige in having a daughter that's a pornographer. So I think it's been really hard for me because I was always kind of the outlier and the black sheep in my family and um, always wanted them to be proud of me. And so when I had a lot of success in porn, it was particularly hard because I couldn't say, hey, hi, I'm doing something that's like changing things because I can't talk to them about it. So, yeah, that has to be really hard. I mean, yeah. that has to be really hard. The feeling of wanting to impress or make your parents proud is kind of this natural, this yeah. natural, you know, order of things as a child. And you want to be able to call someone and say, I just won like my 20th award, you know, and, you know, it's um, that I can imagine that being hard. But do you do you at least feel that you get recognition and support and encouragement from other people in your life outside of your family? Yeah, I do. But I think it's also I mean, I think more so what it's taught is humility, because I think especially in porn, you can have a meteoric rise. I had one at the beginning of my career where I was winning a lot of awards. And, and, and I think it teaches you a lot of humility because when you don't have people saying, oh, you're amazing, look what you did, your head can't kind of, <laughs> your head still stays grounded. So yeah. I, for me, I've never you know gotten a big head, but I've seen a lot of people who, get the praise and recognition like I'm sort of more or less the person that's you know people call me mom I mean that's more my reputation the best. I mean let's let's go back to how hot that is right I mean I think <laughs> clearly you agree with right. me that moms really need to make a comeback yeah. and and yeah. not the, and not the milf porn milfs they're that doesn't yeah. count Right, real, real moms. Actual moms, right? <laughs> that actually can hold 17 grocery bags on their arms and never complain, right? Yes. That's, yeah. I think they should make a comeback. I really do. Um, <laughs> so, so I've mentioned like in your, in the intro, when I was introducing you, I mentioned that you were, you know, just the, the big name in ethical porn. And so can you explain to everyone what what does that mean? Like what makes porn ethical and how does that compare to the porn that's already out there? Okay. I mean, this is such a big question. I mean, so ethical porn is, I guess it's it's a way of ensuring that consent occurs before they even get to set through post-production. And, and what I mean is, if I can give an example, is, you know, it begins when the scene is booked and confirming with the talent that they're comfortable with what they're shooting. Are they comfortable that they're going to be categorized as a MILF or whatever it is? Are they comfortable with the scene they're doing? Are they comfortable with the person they're booked with? Then when you get to set you establish, are you comfortable with these sexual activities? And if you're not, what are your yeses and nos? 
Then when it goes into post-production, it's really ensuring that all of the things that you've established and laid the groundwork for are executed in post-production. So like, you know, there are certain performers that never want to be categorized as MILFs, even though they fit that niche. So what we do is just make sure that the communication happens to post-production, like this cannot be titled anything with MILF, this cannot be this. So it's really making sure that there's consent and understanding all the way around. Um, I will tell you the majority of performers are never told who they're working with ahead of time. They never get the opportunity to consent. Um, the only opportunity is if the agent asks who they're booked with, the producer may say, oh, it's this person, but that's being told to the agent and not the talent themselves. And wow. the talents are the ones that should be involved in consent because the agent could simply say, oh yeah, she's fine with this person. Or the agent might only know that girl's no list, but they don't know whether that girl, if this person is on the person's, nah, I mean, I'd rather not, but I will list. Right. Right. You know, I, think, I never even thought about that. I think I just assumed that every, every performer agrees to who they're going to be having sex with. So they'll show up and go, oh, okay, so you're the one I'm having sex with? Sometimes. Usually the way it works is they'll get a call sheet and that's when they find out. And that call sheet can happen a week before or it can happen like hours before. And again, I mean, I'm constantly told by talent, you're the only director that clears the talent with me. Now, again, like I said, the agents usually do know the talents no list, but I would rather have the talents, yes, I really want to work with this person list. Right. Or, oh yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I'm cool with him. I mean, that's that's another yes to me. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, and it gets complicated because obviously there's some agents that just want their girls to work. And sometimes the girls, I mean, the, the thing that people don't think about is, and this is just also for the male performers as well, but when they get to set, you know, it's very hard for an 18-year-old woman to say to a 40-year-old director, hey, I really would rather not work with so-and-so. And at that point, they feel guilty because it's almost too late to ask. Yeah. So then they don't want to, and then they feel obligated, and then they just go through with the scene, even though they might not be super comfortable with it. Which is, I mean, we always talk, I know that the difference between you know, consent and enthusiastic consent, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there are things I've consented to in my life mm-hmm. that I didn't want to do. Sure. Right? Yeah. And I'm, I'm assuming most women who are listening could pro- are probably shaking their head like, shit, yeah, I guess me too, right? Yeah. Um, because sometimes you consent because you're afraid not to. Right, Correct. like that example of an eighteen-year-old talking to a forty-year-old director who's yeah. big in the industry. What are they going to say, right? right? And that has to be tr- really traumatic. And I think that's why, when I remember the day, Jackie. Well, I don't know the actual date, but I remember the moment where I saw for the first time you posted something on Twitter when Balesa House just became a thing. And it was like, let me know who you want to have sex with and we'll see if we can make that happen. It was like, you made this broad call of, was it just to adult performers who are already in the industry? 
Uh, for the most part, because when it was starting out, I mean, it's, it's always a liability when you're working with people you don't know. Right. So we were going with industry people. Yeah. First. And yeah. so all of these women actually were the ones that were like, this is who I want to work with. And this is why I want to work with them. And I remember going, damn, good on these women that they get to choose who they want to have sex with because they actually want to. The reality of it is it was more just like, if you want to get paid, you'll have sex with who I tell you to have sex with. Right. And I mean, again, even pre bales I mean, I would clear the talent, but it was never their choice. Like in the sense of, I would say, hey, you know, here's like four guys. Is there one that you really like? But it wasn't, you can choose anyone. Just tell me who. And that's what makes it such a novel, brilliant idea is it really empowers them to make the decision. And um, I mean, what's more ethical than that? Right. I have been watching porn for a, a long time. And, yeah. <clears throat> and when I saw the first Belessa House clip on Belessa, it looked like I mean, granted, the people are fucking gorgeous. I mean, let's just, you know, these aren't average Joes on the street as far as their looks. They look amazing. Um, very easy on the eyes. However, the realness is something that you don't even see that kind of organic connection in the people that, you know, upload their own porn. It's right. like, I mean, I saw one with um, Damon Dice and, and a previous girlfriend of his. Mm-hmm. Morgan Lee, probably. Yes, it was Morgan. And the conversation they had before they even had sex was like just f- former lovers talking like they were hanging out on the couch. And yeah. watching them have sex looked so different. It just, in a good way, but it was like he genuinely cared yeah. about her pleasure. They joked throughout it. If I remember, she like had these uh, these like knee high boots on, and he went to go take them off, and she's like, "Don't take them off. I'll tell you why later." <laughs> yes, yes, you know. And it was just like, and and all of the ones that I've seen, those clips of the Lessa House, it's always been just so real, like stuff that actually happens in real life. And I know with the Lessa, they're big on no fake orgasms. Yeah. Yes. And it's funny because when you work with some of the younger generations, like the Gen Zs, especially, um, which are, I guess, the 18 year olds now or whatever, 19 year olds, you know, they grew up on porn. So they think they're having an orgasm, but they're not. And so a lot of times it'll, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll mimic that and I'll have to tell them, I'm like, you can't have an orgasm when you're kissing somebody. I mean, (laughs) there's other things going on. (laughs) Sorry. I, I mean, maybe you can if he's rubbing your clit and there's other things going on, but you can't just get somebody a pack and suddenly you're, oh, it's just, no, it doesn't work like that, honey. Sorry. That's so true. One of my my big soapboxes is that women define the word orgasm differently. Yes. Uh, and it has caused so much shit where I finally was like, I need to get to the bottom of this because in my head, I'm going, if you're not stimulating your clit, I, like I literally don't understand. There's Correct. nothing else anatomically right. that can create an orgasm. However, what I found was that the more women I spoke to, 
the more I realized that they, they categorize different pleasurable sensations as orgasms. So when they talk about, oh, I come from penetration, I said, awesome. How? Tell me how. Oh, well, when I'm on top and I'm grinding, I go, okay, so you're, you're actually grinding your clit. So it's not, it's not his penis inside of you. It's actually your clit, right? Because there's very little nerve endings past like the first third of your vagina or else childbirth would be fucking more awful than it already is, right? So I'm, I'm, what, I'm, what I've gathered in my, you know, my pseudo research is that the, that intense like pee feeling that you can get from like, from penetration or, or that, I hate the word G-spot because it's really just like the back of your clit, but on the inside, but that yeah. area is very close to your bladder. So if there's heavy penetration and deep penetration, you are absolutely creating pressure there and it can feel really good. I personally don't categorize that as an orgasm. I categorize orgasms for me as like direct clitoral stimulation and the physiological response mimics a man's orgasm, right? Like the, his, his dick is pretty much just a very large clit. So I like, it's literally, they're stimulated the same way. And that's, it's just, I, the whole orgasm thing really, and we can get to that the negatives of porn, because I went through a really difficult time with porn, with orgasm comparison, thinking that something was wrong with me. Cause I would see these women orgasm and, and shake from really heavy, like jackhammering. And I'm going, what am I missing? What, what is happening? I don't understand this. Like, and I never understood why men always would like brag about lasting a really long time. I'm like, What do you, who the hell wants to be jackhammered for an hour? Like, Nobody. I, so it really, I went through this, what's wrong with me? Why I don't, my legs don't shake from getting penetrated. I like, to me, I'm like, yeah, it feels good. But really that's just me helping my husband get off. Like that's what that is, you know? Yeah. Uh, so it's interesting that you say that the younger generations are kind of making these noises because they think that they're supposed to have orgasms from like everything, you know? And they also think that they've had, I mean, you know, look, it's certainly possible for women to have multiple orgasms um, more often than not by yourself. But, um, you know, if you're going to have it with a partner, yeah, it's possible. Is it possible it's going to happen like, you know, multiple times within a minute? No. I mean, maybe there's some anomaly, but like, I think with the girls, it's like, I came five times during that scene. And I'm just like, no, you didn't come at all. Actually. <laughs> but, um, you know, if you want to believe that, but it's sad that they believe that. Mm-hmm. And actually, this is an interesting thing. I'll share this really quick. There was a scene I did. I won't reveal that the performer's names, cause one of them might be a little insecure about this, but you know, the whole time it was a girl, girl scene. And there was the whole, uh, uh, the whole time. You know, they're not barely even touching anything. It's just constant, you know, monotonous. It was just awful. And, um, and lots of fake orgasms. And so then I handed them a toy and one of them uh, was using it on the other and the other got extremely quiet. And then she got really tense. <laughs> then she came, but with no sound, no. Uh-huh. Yeah. And immediately she said, please cut. 
And so we did, because obviously if the performer needs something and I talked to her after that, I was like, yeah, you just had a real orgasm there. Why would you want to stop? Why would you want to stop your pleasure? And she's like, I'm embarrassed. And it was so eye opening for me. And she's a Gen Zer. And it was just, I think she felt really vulnerable. Yeah. No. And maybe that was her first orgasm ever. I don't honestly, I I bet it was. I honestly, I bet it was. It's hard for me to, I, I often toe the line of not wanting to hurt anyone's feelings and tell them, no, you didn't have an orgasm because right. it doesn't feel the way I think it should feel. So, right. but there is a large part of me that is like, if there are women out there that truly are, are experiencing that deep pressure sensation during penetration, and thinking that that is all that that's as good as it gets i i i really would like to talk to them <laughs> because right. um, i just there's a whole world out there women <laughs> I, yeah you know and then you see all these articles about nipple gasms and cervical orgasms and anal gasms and, and right. like, all those things can happen if the clit's being rubbed <laughs> so I'm like, exactly so so basically what you're saying is as long as you're stimulating the clit to come i don't care if you finger my ear i'll have an eargasm like as long <laughs> right. as as long as my clit is being stimulated i can have whatever kind of orgasm you want to call it i feel like women's orgasms have been commercialized and mm-hmm. and and that pains me because women will come to me and tell me, Nina, I've seen so many sex therapists because I can't come during penetration. I think I'm just really, really uptight. I'm like, no, it's because the clit is actually like not three inches inside of your vagina. That's probably why it's not happening, you know, but there's legitimately, you know, well-educated adult grown ass women that have fallen victim to the bullshit message that women are supposed to come the way men do as far as penetration is concerned, you know, and then there's the whole vibrator thing, you know, like, yeah. Oh, but I I can't get off unless I use a vibrator. So I feel like something's wrong. And, and I'm going, um, like, yeah, no, (laughs) like, There are a lot, a lot of clits require that type of stimulation. It's no different than a guy saying, I can't get off from a blowjob. Nobody shames them. No, never. Right. So it's, it's, it's a gender issue. It's like a societal construct issue. It's not an anatomical issue. Like women aren't broken. Our, our, the messaging in our culture is severely broken. Right. Very Um, much so. So you are the writer, director, producer for Belessa right now, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then you also have your own company or? So I, I, yes, I own my own company. It's JSJ Films, but then I am exclusive to Belessa as their creative director. So okay. um, they hire my company and I am exclusive to them. Gotcha. Okay. And then what is Sweet Sinner? So I do still work um, one movie a month with Sweet Sinner. They were um, the second company I worked with. And ha- they have a good relationship with Belessa. So um, I am allowed to still work with them once a yeah. month. Yeah. So yeah, I do see some of the Sweet Cinder clips on Belessa's site. And what I love about Belessa too is that 
all of the clips that they put on their site, they have relationships with the companies that make, they're not just stealing content from, you know, like the mainstream sites and then charging for them on, on their site. Correct. Yeah. And so, okay. So if we're talking myths about porn and honestly, like as many as I've heard, I'm assuming you've heard all of them. Right. And you're constantly faced with having to like roll your eyes or take the energy to actually dispel them. But what are some of the most common myths that you hear about porn being in the industry all the time? Uh, one of them, which it just happened today is this idea that like everyone in porn is shooting pizza guy, delivery guy, porn. Oh, okay. Um, like that's always the go-to joke. Yeah. And I'm just like, I don't remember in 11 years that I worked in porn ever having a pizza guy storyline in any company that I worked <laughs> with or anyone, but okay. I don't know why that's like a going theme that that's our go-to. Yeah. It seems like civilians and that's what we call people that don't work in porn have like zero idea what's going on in porn because they're looking at tube sites. And that's one of the myths is that tube sites are what is happening in porn. And that's absolutely not true. Um, it's a small percentage of what's going on in porn, but you have to think tube sites are, they're rebranding content often to get clicks. It's not necessarily, you know, it's very hard to find ethical porn on there because it's uploaded by anyone. So you, you have no idea. Um, another one is this, that you know, every person in porn is uneducated or uh, was abused or drug addict. Um, and, you know, that's not to say that there aren't people who are abused or drug addicts, but um, those people exist in every <laughs> profession. Right? So I don't know why we, we get blamed for it for some reason. Yeah. Um, so those are some of the myths and, uh, and just that there's no quality porn out there. Uh, that's just, it's a, you know, not true. And if you're looking on tube sites to find it, you probably aren't going to. Right. Right. And, and, and going back to the, um, I know we talked about this too on the phone was that the difference in how people view women in porn versus men. And even as a woman, I have been taught that women in porn probably have daddy issues. They have no respect for themselves. Right. And then when I look at a guy in porn, I'm like, Oh, he's so hot. Like what? why doesn't he have mommy issues? Why isn't he uneducated? Why, you know, and then I had to put myself in check, like there, what causes that kind of, um, again, it's always been females aren't allowed to be sexual. So if they are going to be sexual, there must be something wrong with them. So what kind of reasons do you see women coming into porn for? Like, do you see a lot of you know, sad stories for women coming in? Or do you see women that are like, I just don't give a shit about what society thinks. It's great money. I love sex. I'm safe. Why, why wouldn't I do this? Like how, what are the reasons do you think people that you see women, especially go into porn? So it's all, it's all over the place. I mean, there are women that get in and maybe they don't have value in themselves, but those people don't last very long in porn because I mean, it's a tough business and it'll eat you alive. So you have to be kind of tough just to survive. Um, I mean, some of the reasons are it, it is a great way for somebody who some people don't have a college education at 18, you could be making six figures and what other job can you do that? Unless you become like a famous, you know, TikTok star or like a, an actor or something like that. I mean, it's very difficult, but in porn, it's not as difficult. Right. Um, a lot of these girls are taking care of their families and sending money to families. And, and, 
you know, they did come from broken homes, so they're able to support their families. Um, then you see a lot of MILFs getting in when they're MILFs mm-hmm. getting later in life because they realize how lucrative it is and they want to retire early. So mm-hmm. you see the range of stories. Um, and then, of course, you have some uh, Gen Zs, unlike me, who, you know, you don't aspire to be in porn. The, that generation, many people do because they grew up on it. So they look at it the way that I maybe looked at um, Meryl Streep and said, I want to be an actress. They're looking at Abella Danger and going, I want to be that. Right. You know, she now owns like a boat and lives on the beach and she's a millionaire. I mean, so it's like, yeah. Wow. Do a lot of the people that you work with, are they in relationships? Is it hard to be a performer and have a relationship? Do you see a lot of single people or do you see people that are like together? And if they are together, do they typically date people in the industry? Because there's very few people that would probably understand outside of the industry. Yeah. I mean, all of the above. I mean, it's sort of half and half. I mean, you'll see people in the industry um, dating each other, but you'll also see a lot of single people. I think within the industry, it is very hard to have a lasting relationship, but it's easier to do it with somebody in the business because they understand, but that doesn't mean jealousy goes away. And, you know, just because they both um, do it, it's, it's still, it's still hard because the person that you love is going and having sex with somebody else. And even though they know it's a job, real life and real emotions still are at play. I mean, what's interesting though about the gender thing is that women have an easier time dating people outside the business, which is really strange, but you'll see a lot of women with, you know, men that are happy for the women to be making a ton of money and supporting them. But you don't see a lot of men with mainstream civilian girls dating them because women don't want their man to have sex with all these different people. Yeah. So I, I mean, there's been a couple, one performer, um, Ryan Driller, uh, he's no longer in the business, but he was with a civilian and they're married now and she dealt with it. I, I don't know how, but she did. Yeah. That has to be, that has to be really tough. I mean, even, even though you can always fall back on it and say, this is my career, this is my business. Yeah. It's still like, these are real people, right? It's like, I had uh, a couple on that was in, uh, they're in an open marriage. And I think one of the, one of the myths is that people who are polyamorous or in open relationships don't get jealous. Like Uh. it isn't, it, it, jealousy is, is a human emotion. That's like saying, oh, they don't get sad. Like they just, their communication around jealousy is, is much better than, than people probably that are in monogamous relationships. It's just that they talk about it more. And that's something that I'm assuming people in the porn industry, the communication, especially if one's in the industry and one's out of the industry, the communication has to be fucking solid (laughs) for you to be able to navigate that. That Cause everyone, I mean, I'm a little, a little biased because I, I watch Balesa or, you know, so like the people are gorgeous, like all of them, all of them are gorgeous. So knowing that my partner is always having sex with gorgeous women that, yeah, that has to be, (laughs) has to be really hard. That's one of the great things about porn though. I mean, and it's not again, universal. I mean, some porn performers have horrible communication with their partner. But porn in general teaches people to communicate and communicate often and well. Again, there's always exceptions, but we we are pretty open and there's really no shame in, in anything. So I think 
it sort of breeds a culture of people that are very used to being open about everything. Yeah. 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 And I think that that's something that most couples, uh, especially monogamous couples, don't have. Right. It is interesting. I mean, I've talked to people that my friends that have issues and again, it's the same thing that you're saying where there's just so much shame and embarrassment or, I mean, not even about sex. It's about anything. Mm -hmm. Oh, I can't tell him that. I can't tell him that his smoking bothers me. I'm like, well, why? Again, especially Gen X couples, we, we grew up, you know, everybody, everyone just shut their mouth and stayed married. (laughs) That's just what you did. And I think that that hopefully is changing. Like I have hope for my daughter who's 12, that when she grows up, it will be so normal for her to talk about what she enjoys sexually, uh, both physically and mentally. Like, I hope that's just like a normal conversation when she gets to that age. So clearly it, it it's easy to talk about all the negative shit with porn, right? I mean, like anywhere you go on the internet, it's people talking about how it kills relationships, it kills sex drive, all all of these negative things. And so I don't even, to me, that's like, that's easy to talk about. What I want to talk about is all the positives about porn. And I know, I think I told you a few of them for me personally. Well, originally I had said I did go through a phase where I was really struggling to know that I am okay because of the porn I was watching. I was watching women just get fucked hard for, you know, 10 minutes and they were coming. And I was also always confused, Jackie, when they had to tell the guy they were with that they were coming. Like, do you know what I'm talking about? They're always like, I'm coming, I'm coming. coming. And I'm like, if I was mute, my husband would know that I was coming. Like, like there, I, I look, I'm seizing, like, like there's no, there's no, I mean, it's really not very sexy in my opinion. He thinks it's hot, but I like lose the ability to like breathe and speak. But like, I was always confused. Like they would say, oh, I'm coming. And I would watch her body so intently. Like, but mine doesn't, nothing's happening. Like her, her pelvic floor isn't spasming. She's not. And I was so, I dissected this shit. Right. And then I got to the point where I was like, maybe it's me. Like maybe they, they all are having the same orgasm I have, but do from something different from penetration. So I thought that something was wrong with me for a long time. And I would research and research and research. And it's hard because the articles out there are still oh, okay. talking, are still talking about, you know, 20 different kinds of orgasms for women. And, and I'm, Jesus, I'm, I'm still questioning number one and I got 20 like shit. Like, and so then I was like, wait a minute. I don't understand. I was questioning my own anatomy. Like did, maybe I didn't know my body. And then I worked on it. Right. So I worked on it. I understood. And I no longer, it was also the porn I was watching that I've changed drastically. And I tell the people that I coach that if you're just getting into porn, I need you to use the search bar. Like that's a big thing for me. So I always tell people, if you have a certain body type, that you are not seeing represented in the porn that you're watching, search for it. Stop clicking on a category and then scrolling because you're going to see all of the unrealistic shit. So if you are thicker, if if you have loose stomach skin because you had three kids, guess what? There's porn on there, typically homemade, right? People that are not in the industry that type in real couple, mom, 
uh, thick, uh, clitoral orgasm, like type all of that shit in. Yeah. I started only watching porn that I could relate to. And then what happened, what it started validating my experience. I'm going, oh, that, that is real. Like that's what happens to me when I come and that's what I have to do in order to come. And it was just real people, you know? And so I'm really big on searching for, (laughs) for what you want. Yeah, so for what you want. So that was big. Once I started learning how to watch porn, I know it sounds really clinical and ridiculous, but how to watch porn, my entire experience with it shifted. And the ability for me to explore fantasies that I never even knew I had until I saw something in porn, that has been huge for me. I even tell clients, use porn as a way to communicate what you think is hot. So sometimes it's really hard for a woman, especially to be like, hey, I think it's the idea of being a hot wife is really hot. Or the idea of watching you with another man is really hot. That's hard to say. Sure. But, but it's a little easier to say, I just saw this clip and I thought it was really hot. Right. Cause it's like, it's like not you creating the fantasy. It's this, this porn couple. It wasn't me. It was just them. Right. And so I do, I say like use porn as a way to communicate what you think is hot. That's also a great thing. And it, I've used it to challenge my own beliefs to be a better professional in this field. So one of the biggest shifts for me was that I, was called out by a wonderful man who I bought on my podcast, Jonathan Beal, a bisexual man who goes against all stereotypes, you know, that media portrays bisexual men to look like. And I said something like, you know, my husband, I, I happen to think is very attractive and my gay guy friends make it really clear that they find him attractive too. So they'll just say the most ridiculous things. And of course I am like, Matt, so-and-so wants you to do this and this, and he's such a good sport. He's like, awesome. You know? Um, but so I started going, wow, actually that's kind of hot. Thinking about a guy like pleasing my husband is kind of hot. That's, I mean, I love men. So like two of them together, that's hot. Better. But the second I pictured it the other way where my husband was doing something to a guy, I was like, oh, no, can't, nope, nope, can't do that. Can't do that. And so Jonathan challenged me on that and said, what is it about the thought of your husband pleasing another man even just in your head, why did, why did you shut down to that? I'm like, it's kind of feminine to me. Like, and I was like cringing as I was saying, it's kind of feminine to me. I'm a fucking woman last time I checked. And here I am cringing at the idea of something being feminine. So what does that say about me? Right. And so he, and I love being challenged because I love to just constantly become a better person and expand my mind. And, and I was like, holy shit, I don't know that. And why did I equate a blowjob to only being something women do to men? That was another thing. Why, why was it, why was I associating a gender to a sexual act? And Mm -hmm. so all these things were coming into my head and, and luckily Jonathan is fucking amazing. And he said, I think the real issue is you haven't seen a masculine blowjob. 
And we were laughing, but I was like, you know what? I'm, I've got work to do. I need to figure this out. What is it, right? So I went right to porn that night and I started Googling masculine gay men or masculine blowjobs. And Jackie, I shit you not, my, that is the only porn I watch now is by <laughs> men or gay men. And it's funny because I went from only thinking one way based on the way media taught me to think, right? I was basing an entire perception of something on what media has pushed in, in all of our faces about what, what a gay man looks like, how gay men act, uh, how bi men are secretly gay, right? No. (laughs) Since then, I've spoken to several bisexual men who literally have said to me, Nina, I am as close to down the middle as you can get. I fucking love women and I fucking love men. And there's, I have zero preference. I am literally equally attracted to both of them. Once I realized that I was having really uh, more like internalized misogyny and internalized homophobia that I didn't even know existed in my head. I'm like, I am the most open-minded person ever, but there was something that was so ingrained in me from just being a part of this culture that was not allowing me to see something as it really is. And so I did the work and I went on porn. I absolutely use porn for professional. I mean, I would say it's for, it's for work. It's for work. I, I used it to challenge my own belief system and Balesa has their own category. They have guy on guy. I don't think they have any bi, but I know they have guy on guy. And all of those men are, I mean, aesthetically, exactly the opposite of what media wants you to think gay men look like, right? Right. So in my life, porn has actually been a positive influence. Once I learned how to watch it and what I could pull from it both personally and professionally. Like I joke, but I really needed to change what I was thinking because it wasn't accurate and it wasn't fair and it wasn't serving me at all. I, I'm just happy that women like you are creating porn that isn't seen as a guy thing anymore. It, it's not a guy thing. Porn is not a guy thing. I know that the female viewership is on the rise for sure. Yeah. Do you see trends there or no? Is that like they're marketing? I'm, uh, I'm not on the analytics side of it, but I mean, I know, you know, Valesa's analytics are going to be different than what a tube sites are because they're not targeting the tube site user because the tube site user is usually a male, not always, but also they're looking to get off as quickly as humanly possible. So they're not really there for the investment or the quality of the content. They just want to search for big tits and get off. Right. And Balesa is more about the consumer that really wants a little more substance um, with their content. So the analytics that they do are very different than what Pornhub or you know another tube site is going to be looking at. Right. That's true. 
in the industry as a whole, whether it's Balesa or, or, or Sweet Sin or any of them, what do you see as more of like popular trends? Like what are people searching for? In the, in the bigger picture of porn, uh, incest, faux cest is still insanely popular. And believe me, you won't find any pornographer that wants to shoot it. But uh, given that it is still a trending topic and because people are searching for it, it's being produced. If they weren't searching for it, we wouldn't make it. The other thing that's becoming a little more popular is more high-end porn, which I I have a mixed opinion about it. Um, I think that sometimes it's just to tout, oh, look how much we have. Um, and it's not necessarily even focused on the sex itself. So it's the bells and whistles and the planes and, you know, whatever you're going to do. It's the end of the day, you know, the focus should always be on the hottest possible sex, but our industry right now, and I don't know what's driving this trend. I don't know if this is an analytic thing or if it's just um, bragging rights or whatever, but you're seeing a lot of money spent on porn. Mm. And I know that making a return on investment in porn is difficult. So to shoot a $100,000 anal scene just seems really, um, out of control in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but when you again, say, when you say high end or luxury, you mean like in the scene, there's like, it's ex- like expensive prop things like a, like a helicopter or being shot in a mansion that you have like that kind of a yeah. thing. Yeah. I mean, I know that there was one studio and, and, and nothing against them. I mean, they, they do really great stuff, but, um, they had rented like an airplane hangar. Everyone had a trailer. Everything was catered. Um, and this was just for a scene and, you know, for me, like, I mean, locations alone, you know, I work as a producer, so it's like, find the cheapest place that can give you still the quality look. I mean, like a hundred dollars an hour is usually the max that a lot of studios can afford. I mean, this place, if you're renting an airplane hangar, I know for a fact that that's quite a bit of money, several thousand and it's for a scene. So it's like, what is, what are we selling more in that scenario? Are we selling the airplane hanger? Right. Or are we selling somebody's anal scene, which is going to be just as interesting without the airplane hanger? Right. <laughs> and, and I know with Blessa House, it's just a room with a bed. It's a room. And, and it's the fastest growing, I think, line in porn right now. Um, and yeah, because at the end of the day, I mean, I think what the hottest thing isn't the airplane hanger. The hottest thing is two people that really want to have sex, mm-hmm. having sex the way that they want to have sex. And it's really just not being done anywhere yeah. other than Melissa. Yeah, I, I have to agree. I have to agree. And why do you think incest or faux cest? What is the thrill? Where do you think that comes from? Uh, I mean, I, 100%, I think it comes from... Um, this idea of sex being taboo and wrong is always hot. I mean, even if it's not incest, it can be, or faux cest, it's fucking my boss or cheating or things like those are all very popular things today. You know, the cheating is still really popular because it's wrong. So um, those are all lines that still do well. And I, I get it. And same with the faux cest. I mean, it's like you have a hot stepmom and it's, it's really wrong. So I get it. I do get it. Um, I, I don't enjoy ever directing that stuff. But Are there like rules as far as producing it or, or are there rules like legally that you have to put in there like lines every certain amount, just kind of reminding the viewer that it's just my stepmom or, oh, I'm 18 or like, do you have to, yeah. are there legal things with that or no? 
Yeah. And it's funny because I mean, thank God Belessa doesn't do any of this stuff, but like other studios, yes. And there's legal reasons because people in porn have gone to prison for obscenity. So you have to constantly drill into like, you know, even I got a lot of criticism um, for drilling home the step mom thing, but you have to establish that it's a step um, before they have sex you also in in sweet center you have to establish that they've only been steps for like 2 months or less and that has to be in the script so it's like there's always like but you're my step brother i mean that's like the joke we all are like we know this is bad writing like nobody in porn thinks this is brilliant writing and we all laugh about it but like we have to do it and so like even though we get criticized it's like dude i know this is bad writing but i have to say it for legal reasons and for visa and mastercard that you know want to make sure that we're not producing anything that's like and there's a disclaimer before it too that says this is completely fictional i mean even though it's not illegal to fuck your step whatever right as long as you're 18 but we still have to yeah yeah it's funny you can on game of thrones you could be underage and fucking you could be fucking your actual your sibling but in porn nope we can't do anything we right. can't no well that's that's because you guys are the devil and you guys are right are single-handedly causing the demise of our country. That's why. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Is there anything else right now that you're working on that's, whether it's with Belessa or something else that's, you know, up and coming that we should, you know, keep an eye out for? I am really excited for this line from Belessa that I have directed. It has not been released. It's called Belessa Blind Date. What? It's so cool. Wait, oh my God. Okay. I don't know why I'm upset. Like I didn't know about this. Like who the hell am I? But I'm kind of upset that I didn't <laughs> I'm like shocked. I don't understand. Why didn't I know the inside scoop of Valesa? <laughs> I was like shocked and insulted. Like, I don't understand. Why didn't Michelle call me and tell me what, what, can you tell us at least what the premise is? Or are you not allowed to even say that? Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I, they haven't told me I can't. So okay. we'll, I'll find out if I am not, wasn't supposed to mention this, but okay. um, it's basically, um, so Belessa House, they choose, you know, who they're working with. And so they know when they get to set, they're working with the person they requested. On Belessa Blind Date, I set them up. But I still go through the same things, like where I'll talk to the female and the male performer and I'll establish, you know, who is on your, I really want to work with them or I really love working with them list. And I send them a gigantic list of people and they can pick or they can suggest some of their own. And I tell them to give me at least five to seven names that they'd be thrilled with. And then I see that the, you know, whether they coincide and then they arrive to set, they have no idea who they're working with. And then the cool thing is we bring them in for an interview and they're sitting side by side, but there's a screen so they can't see each other. Okay. They wear headphones that distort each other's voice. So they don't know, but I will interview them in the room together and they can hear distorted version of their scene partner and kind of find out their likes and dislikes. And it's really, I mean, it's every scene we've done has been magical and incredible and everyone's been just so thrilled and it's just so much fun. So it's kind of like Belessa House with a twist, right? Because there's right. Belessa House, they know, they, they, they know. know, right? They've chosen. They know that they can't. Uh, so the, in Belessa House, they know who they're working with, but they are not allowed to interact at all before. And they don't see each other until the cameras are rolling and they walk in the room and they have sex. Like they don't, are not allowed to chat or 
mingle, we separate them in different parts of the house. So they never see their scene partner until they're, until we're rolling. On blind date, it's the same thing, although they do interact, they just don't know who they're interacting with. Wait, so, okay, so with Balesa House, they know who, they know who they're working with Yes, a certain amount of time before the actual scene. Oh, they know when it's booked. Yeah. Okay. But then once it's booked, they're not allowed to speak or anything until the actual scene. Yeah. I mean, obviously they can speak if, you know, we can't control if they're booked for another scene, but when they get to set on that day, I mean, the way that normally porn works is there's interaction between them and their scene partner. So they can already build the chemistry beforehand um you know they may already have chemistry but the reason why we do it that way is when the cameras are rolling we see them creating that chemistry in the moment it's not done before the cameras are rolling it's done on camera okay that makes sense and also i feel like it also eliminates the possibility of some weird um interaction before the scene that throws off everything yeah. Charles Dara actually said that in one of his Blessa House scenes that he doesn't speak to his scene partners ever beforehand because he's like, I could only, it could only go downhill from there. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I mean, like, what if you don't send the right emoji or something? And then they're right. like, why are you being an asshole? And then you're like, oh shit, you know, we have to have sex in an hour and now, I, now I'm an asshole. Like, okay. So that actually makes a lot of sense. So Blessa blind date, when is that supposed to be a, like come out? I don't know. I'll have to find out. Oh my God. But we've shot about, I think about 20 scenes and um, it's been extraordinary. I mean, we had a scene where a bed broke and like, we don't stop rolling. Like the bed actually (laughs) broke. (laughs) It's real. That's what happens sometimes, right? Yes, it does. I mean, it was, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's it's been so magical and incredible. I mean- my the performers just love it because you know they trust me too because obviously they have to um but they know Balesa is not going to put them in a situation where they're and again it's still going through the consents which you know the audience gets to see you know what kind of things do you like or what gets you off and they're talking to each other and hearing that um before we say hey step up and meet your blind date and they see who they're working with and then right from there they go right into the bedroom scene right into the bedroom there's okay. no bed. Wow. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. <laughs> now, is that only for like Balesa Plus members or Balesa is Plus? Yeah. Okay. So Balesa Plus is, has been noted as the Netflix of porn. Can you tell us about that? What is Balesa Plus? Balesa Plus is their premium content and it is the Netflix of porn. So it's all Balesa produced, obviously all ethical, everything on Balesa is ethical, but it's where Balesa house, um, Balesa blind date, and then Balesa originals. They all live there. And Balesa originals are scripted scenes or vignettes that, that I've written and directed and, um, really have that true connection and energy between the performers and the sexes is real. I am a porn snob, like hands down. And I'll own that. Like I will tear apart porn. I I, I will actually one of in grad school, I was taking a a human sexuality course in grad school and there was an extra credit, an extra credit assignment was to watch a porn. You know, at that time it was, everything was DVD. There wasn't watch a, a porn 
film and uh, and dissect it. And I was like, I was like the only person who did. I was like, this is gonna be great. And I wrote this whole thing about how what was fake about it and what turned me off and and how it was really not geared towards women. And I remember this was back in um, 2003. It was a while ago. And yeah. even then, I was like something just didn't seem right about it. I was like, why is all porn look the same? Yeah. Like, women are gagging They're right. you know, The men are pushing their heads and, and the women. And again, that's where I was questioning, like, do women really like that? Am I supposed to like that? Like, what's wrong with me? You know? And, and with Balesa, it's like, I've yet to see a scene where the woman's clit is not touched. Yeah. No, we make sure. You know, and I'm like, okay, that makes sense. That's kind of how it works. And and it's not to say that that because sometimes when I tell people about Balesa, I tell everybody about Balesa, and I was like, you know, it's I always hesitate to call it feminist porn because I feel like guys are like, oh, fuck that, forget it. I, I was like, no, no, no. It's I just say it's porn made by women, which really right. which really just means if you're a guy, you actually really want to watch this because. Of this is what we want. <laughs> you're getting actually scenes that women are saying, this is actually what we like. So guys right. that, are, that like women watch this, right? I, don't, I also don't want people to think, oh, because women made it, it's all like vanilla and missionary. And no, there's gangbangs, there's, there's BDSM, there's, you know, hot wifing, there's cuck queening, there's, I mean, it's women are fucking sexual as hell. We just repress it until we explode. <laughs> and yes. so I am a huge cheerleader for Balesa and, you know, and Jackie, how can, how can people find out more about you? Like, where can people find you on the interwebs that want to know more about you or, you know, where they can find out more about Balesa or Sweet Sinner, how they can buy your stuff? Uh, well, you can always go to my website, JackieStJames.com. It's Jackie with a Y. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram with those same handles. My Instagram's a little bit more me and my personal world. And Twitter is more of porn. Um, and then of course they can also look at Balesa content, Balesa.co, and you can link to Balesa Plus. Um, and the cool thing about Balesa Plus is you pay what you can afford. I, I saw that too. It was like, you could pay a dollar yeah. a month, $3 a, dollar. a month. Yeah. You don't yeah. really get that any place else. And yeah. so, yeah. No. So there's an incentive to, to, to watch because if you only have a dollar a month, uh, that's what you pay and you still have access to the great content. So yeah. why not? That's incredible. I really think that you and Balesa are really totally shifting the paradigm of porn and porn does not have to be seen as the other woman in heterosexual relationships. You know, I, I encourage women to watch porn. I think it gives women permission to explore their sexuality, be sexual. I look at 50 shades of gray. Men weren't reading that. It's women, women, right? We are out there. We are sexual and we are now getting permission to enjoy that. And I think the more men support that, <laughs> the happier they will be if they are, if they, you know, like if they are women loving men, they want this kind of content out there where we enjoy it and we 
learn new things that we want to try with, with our partners. And, uh, I just, I love what you're doing, Jackie. I am so grateful that you took the time to come on this podcast and I will, um, I will put all of your information in the podcast notes so they can go to Belessa.co and, and, and your website and all that good stuff. Thank you, Jackie, again, so much. Thank you for everything you do. You're awesome. Thanks again, Jackie. We will be in touch for sure. Thank you everybody for listening tonight and uh, we hope to hear from you soon.